Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. We have another episode as part of our Digital Reductionism series with the Holmes Report. Particularly excited about this episode. National brand leaders might not consider the enormous communications challenges faced by international brand leaders who essentially have to craft, deliver, and sustain brand messages that are universally resonant across different cultures. Doing so and effectively pulling this off is a masterclass in communications, creativity, and international relations. But for Tarad Neptune, it's just another day at the office. In addition to having the coolest name in marketing, Tarad Neptune is the chief communications officer at Lenovo, a global brand that does a masterful job at keeping a foot in their brand's legacy while also focusing on what's new now and next. This exact same dictum is what Tarad's approach is to leading the brand's entire communications function. We sat down with Tarad and discussed everything from the current state of communications to big data and perhaps most interestingly, the importance of widening your global perspective. Now, one theme that we keep returning to throughout the course of the interview is the notion of broadening your aperture. So pay close attention to that. And the interview was conducted by our president, Paul Dyer. And without further ado, here is Tarad Neptune, Chief Communications Officer at Lenovo. Welcome to the Holmes Reports Digital Reductionism series. We are here today with Tarad Neptune from Lenovo. And Tarad is going to be speaking to us about some of his insights from leading the global communications function at Lenovo. Um, And so, Tarad, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, To start out with, um, let's talk about something that's specific to Lenovo. So, your tagline, different is better, is, uh, has been described as a guiding principle and a positioning statement that has played an important part in Lenovo's success. How do you ensure that this philosophy is more than just a tagline and actually guides people's actions on a daily basis? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think in some ways, um, I think about it uh, a number of ways. I'd say more importantly, as a, as a brand ethos, um, it's important that it be reflected in the story that we're telling, obviously across the brand globally, in the story we're telling across stakeholder groups. And so I think from the story vantage point, we do a lot of work to ensure that we are capturing uh, the intelligence of what that looks like, feels like across our business, throughout our product portfolio, uh, in the way we describe how we work, uh, the way we articulate the best of what we believe is our culture on our best day. Um, but, but it requires a lot of work. I think as an aspiration, again, I think in some ways, I often describe the role that I play as working to ensure that the company we desire to be which many people might say is the epitome of a you know, brand aspiration, uh, and connect that to the company we are today uh, is probably the most um, sus- substantive part of the role I play. And so I-, I would certainly not suggest that we've got it solved, but I think as, as a journey, uh, we believe that that philosophy uh, is consistent uh, across the board, but there are always places where we have to do work to... Um, to ensure that it is and where it's not, uh, to try and, you know, to address those challenges. And so uh, I'd say 
we've done a fairly good job, but again, there's always opportunity, and, and therein lies, again, back to my point about what I think is probably one of the more important parts of the role I play. It's interesting that, that bridging the gap between aspiration and the word we keep hearing, authenticity, right, which is yes. who, the, who the company is today. Um, what about another word we hear a lot of these days, which is relevance, mm-hmm. right? Such a hot topic in communications these days. Lenovo has products that touch the lives of vastly different audiences really on, across the world. Um, so how do you ensure that the brand remains relevant across so many products and so many geographies. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think in some ways, if you think about an organization as global in nature as Lenovo across 160 countries, um, and what that means for our business, when you think about the diversity of our customer base, um, and and to your point, uh, how we ensure that we are, we as a brand are relevant, uh, and the relevancy at the global level and also relevance at you know, that 160 market level um, is a challenge. But I do think that's where, uh, to the degree to which we all have become much more focused on uh, digital sophistication and perhaps uh, the best way to describe it is the, the intelligence that's required to understand what relevance looks like. Uh, at the macro level and at the market level uh, and being able to translate those two into a cohesive master brand story, but also understand that that story gets expressed, uh, you know, in Bratislava and in Moscow and in um, Beijing, uh, and that that nuance is really where the power of, you know, data and intelligence and insights, if we are as savvy about that as we should be, as a discipline, help us connect the two. Um, and that's probably where I'd say some of the most exciting transformation work for our discipline has happened at large and certainly where we're trying to, um, to integrate some change for Lenovo and the function. So you, you mentioned the importance of data and intelligence and insights in your ability to connect that story relevantly in each market. Um, is that something that you believe um, or that currently with at Lenovo resides within the communications function or is it a partnership with other business functions? So the, the intelligence and understanding. So, yeah, I mean, I'd say it's obviously a, a collaboration. I think as we as a brand, and I'm thinking about this as a marketing leader within the business, um, I think within the marketing discipline, uh, there's certainly um, – a core group of like-minded, you know, data-believing, perhaps not data scientists, uh, but leaders who, for varying reasons, largely because of the remit that we own, uh, see the critical importance of being data-informed, perhaps is a better word. I don't often like to uh, suggest data-driven, but being data-informed. And so, to your point, I think, obviously, within the marketing discipline, there's a a like-mindedness. When you think about some of the traditional brand data and um, product level data that lives in a typical marketing organization and where I believe as a comms function uh, we have begun at Lenovo and I think as a kind of global function gotten much more focused on the value of being data informed and having those insights influence uh, our understanding to your previous question of who it is that influences you know this aspirational you know positioning that we desire to see uh, the intelligence around what our stakeholders at a global level 
um, believe about us, think about us, you know, what relevancy means to them, all those things, um, I think in some ways have made the comms discipline one that's playing, I would suggest, perhaps a more dominant role um, in at least prioritizing the value of data and, and the insights from that to influence uh, what we do and how we do it. Well, that's interesting. I, mean, I think we, you know, we, we talk a lot about being data inspired, which I think is along the same wavelength as, you know, data informed and companies are spending, you know, a large amount of money on their data warehouses, data infrastructure and things like that. But at the end of the day, to your point, if the comms function isn't using it, then uh, to what end? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. You mentioned your markets, 160 markets from Bratislava to Moscow to Beijing. Um, when you were at Verizon, you were at one of the largest brands in America, mm -hmm. uh, leading communications there. But now you have to think uh, on a much broader global scale. So how did you prepare for, the, for this shift when, you, when sure. you made that change? Yeah. I think it's... Uh I think one of the bigger changes, to your point, I mean, Lenovo is a massive global organization. Even if you think about not just our customer base and the, the uh, markets that we represent, even within the communications discipline, uh, the cultural geographic diversity is, is, is massive. Um, and so, I mean, I think in some ways for me personally, it's been an exercise in broadening uh, the aperture. And I don't necessarily think that functionally uh, I'm playing much more of a different role. My perspective about uh, the world um, and the, the globality of that, right, is probably the most uh, significant change. And from the vantage point of, you know, an organization who's accountable for building, you know, this global stakeholder engagement apparatus uh, for Lenovo, I think that is that aperture you know, broadening in terms of cultural, uh, geographic, geopolitical um, is, is almost, uh, it's unprecedented when you think about the difference and what that change in perspective means for, again, understanding stakeholders and kind of at the global level and certainly at the geographic market level. Um, I find that unbelievably exhilarating, particularly in this environment, this day and age, where I think that is perhaps um, something that is uh, being challenged, this view that the world really is global uh, and that global matters and you know, global economies and global systems and uh, all those things. And so I find it unbelievably exhilarating the, the challenge to expand the aperture and to realize that perhaps the way that my perspective has been influenced largely in, from a Western uh, view is not the way, right, when you think about um, how you engage and how you create or build an, an authentic, relevant, contextual, emotive connection uh, to a group of uh, people who perhaps look like, don't sound like, don't, you know, experience the same things uh, that, you know, we have from a, a Western culture sense. And so integrating all those, you know, uh, perspectives into how we think about, you know, driving uh, our brand forward uh, is is a significant challenge and a big opportunity. And one of the things that I think makes Lenovo an unbelievably exciting place to be within the marketing discipline. So you 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 mentioned the Western mindset as one way, but not the way. Um, you've said before that you've integrated East and West cultures into Lenovo's brand and products. 
Um, so obviously Lenovo is a Chinese company with strong cultural roots. Can you expand on the integration of these two cultures and how they inform your communication strategy? Yeah. And so I'd say, you know, first of all, we talk about ourselves as a, as a global company with Chinese roots, right? And so there are certainly some unbelievably strong heritage, heritage from China, uh, but then having grown probably one of the first Chinese brands to globalize. And so perhaps a little bit of uh, nomenclature, but I think about we, we think of ourselves as a global company, right, with the strong uh, Chinese. But anyway, so to your point, I, I do think uh, Lenovo has for its existence, and certainly uh, from this point where through some significant M&A uh, became a global technology brand, uh, has always been, uh, I think, fairly consistent about the value of what happened in this globalization for us and integrating what was strong Chinese cultural heritage, um, philosophy, you know, management style um, approaches to leading um, and integrating that with, you know, cultures that we acquired in as the business grew and globalized initially, you know, IBM's PC business, you know, most recently, you know, the Motorola business, the IBM x86 business. And so we have truly become a global company. China represents only about 25 percent of our revenue. Um, and so if you think about the other 70 ish percent literally uh, being represented across the rest of the, the world itself. Um, it means that there's an opportunity for us to look at what were the best of not just these heritage technology brands that we acquired in different markets, um, but also bringing that together in terms of the way we manage our culture. Um, you know, that philosophy that we have about what goes into the way we think about product development and uh, creating things that are going to be interesting and new and compelling for our customers. And I think from a leadership vantage point, being here in New York with our, our CEO and his team this week, I think it's quite clear when you look at the different perspectives that are part of you know the leadership of the company. So of the 11 or 12 direct reports to our CEO, uh, they represent just about as many different countries and geographies. Um, and so again, back to this melding of we are not a Western company, we're not an Eastern company, right? We have kind of brought the best of all of that together, we think is one of the things that's perhaps our most uh, powerful and you know, kind of secret DNA uh, that we'd suggest lives in the way we think about products and the way we think about uh, consistent improvement and betterment of uh, things and tinkering. And uh, so anyway, so I, I, a little bit of rambling, but I, I do think it's something that we believe is ingrained throughout everything that we do. And it's reflected in the things that are more visible and also in the things that are that are not. A lot a lot in there. And, you know, one of the things that that we hear a lot and actually that we heard um, from Franz uh, Pasha at PayPal as part of this digital reductionism series is the importance of the sort of integration of internal and external communications mm -hmm. and that employees can be your best advocates. Um, sometimes the best internal communications is external and vice versa. Yeah. And you, you're mentioning the acquisitions that Lenovo has made and the importance of them you know, to your business strategy, um, along with your secret DNA. Mm -hmm. So how do you, you know, internally um, make sure that you're communicating that DNA to these, you know, these um, disparate organizations that you're onboarding? Yeah. So I think, to, so to your point, you know, we think about audiences, right, and a very audience-centric approach to, uh, to crafting that narrative, that story, kind of uh, giving our brand positioning, you know, relevance, context, and meaning, and visualizing it. And so 
I mean, I think at the end of the day, it begins with a consistent message, right? A consistent story that we're telling across our stakeholder groups, obviously with nuance for, again, things that would make that message contextual uh, for audience that might sit in one country versus the other. But I think it begins with the consistency of a clear story, a clear narrative, a clear position. For us, you know, that story has got to have, you know, four pieces, four components, at least as we've prioritized kind of a global storytelling approach for the next few years around what we consider our core differentiators as a business. Um, and we're telling that story across our internal, external, and so really across our stakeholder base globally um, to drive engagement. But so diversity is one of those, right, that is core. Uh, diversity and inclusion, that's core to who we are. The innovation around our product portfolio, again, not the products themselves, uh, but again, that philosophy, that mentality that we were talking about that is inherent in why we do you know, these things, why we build great products, not just Motorola, PC, smart devices, all those things, but telling that story um, in a way that makes us relevant and uh, in some ways perhaps is designed to articulate who we are, why we exist in the world, the reason a consumer anywhere should care, root for us, want us to win. Uh, but then clearly the, the performance of financial story about kind of the transformation that we are uh, driving here within the organization. And then we believe we have an unbelievably differentiated story to tell consistently across the board around our global citizenship work um, and what we're doing as a brand uh, to really improve the lives of consumers, our employees around STEM uh, and things that are a little more relevant to, uh, to who we are. So those are the four platforms uh, are pieces of our story. But again, to your question, uh, that we are trying to be unbelievably disciplined about telling consistently uh, and clearly across our stakeholder groups uh, in a way that ladders to that ultimate brand position that we believe you've got to deliver on. That's great. And it's it's a you know it's an important uh nod to the why right telling lenovo's why um you mentioned global citizenship mm -hmm. um can you expand a little bit on that and just tell us you know when it comes to your citizenship programs sometimes these programs can feel um you know as an afterthought like mm -hmm. a something that the company is doing um simply to get credit for it other times it can feel like something that really is core and true to, you know, the company being a good, to your point, citizen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how do you ensure that it really is something that is meaningful? Yeah. And so I think in some ways I, I look at, I look at it through the lens of what I mentioned about this, this accountability I have for connecting who we are with who we aspire to be. And your, your feedback is fair. I do think too many brands, um, have run recently at the cause as the flavor of the day. Um, before I say one of the most critical things has not been accomplished, and that is determining whether or not we have earned the right to um, articulate a point of view or uh, attach ourselves to a cause or an issue, um, or perhaps uh, better said, whether we've been invited to have a point of view. Um, so anyway, so back to you know our global citizenship work and prioritization around STEM and and technology and what we believe is work there. You know, I, I think in some ways for us, we believe it's a critical responsibility as a brand uh, to be involved in the communities where we are, and whether that's a result of being a global company that obviously at the end of the day is focused on driving sales, you know, of product. Um, 
And what we all know today is that, you know, the product itself is less important. You know, if you're thinking about broad insight, the product itself is less important to our stakeholders and our customers than well, why, why are you, you know, uh, developing this product contextually? And so I think that reality, that truth, in its very essence, is perhaps more of a justification for being involved. Now, it's a fair point or question around, okay, is it, is it differentiated in terms of what you're doing? And, and I uh, think that's one of my key questions that I continue to, to drive to help make us you know, more aligned with that company we aspire to be from who we are today. But I think it's unquestionable that the role of being involved in our communities as a global entity is, is so much more critical today than it was perhaps when uh, the product might have been enough and we were not in highly commoditized industries, right, where we had to spend so much time trying to get to a singular set of truths that would help us uh, be relevant, in a market. And I think citizenship, our, our work in the community, which is unpacking citizenship or the language to its uh, most basic reality, um, has become even more critical. Again, highly commoditized, you know, very little differentiation, and you have to figure out how to get to that, what makes us valuable, meaningful, you know, we'll get consumers uh, across our stakeholder base to to want to advocate for us, you know, to be enthusiastic fans, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I think our work in the community is a key part of that, or citizenship, or however you want to, uh, you know, call it. Well, it must be working, given the, the, the business growth that, you know, Lenovo has achieved. Um, as such, you know, high, high growth business, global aspirations, and current reality, um, you know, the direct reports to the CEO, all being from different regions. Um, you mentioned the CEOs here with you today. How do you, as the the comms leader, uh, ensure that the communications function has a seat at the table, is you know closely connected to the the business um, when it's such a high growth and and changing business? Yeah, I'm, I think I think in many ways uh, the seat at the table exercise, and this is where even I, I think about our. Our discipline, again, not Lenovo's discipline, kind of the macro, global, functional discipline. I think in some ways, back to this being data informed, you know, a, a different focus for uh, what our jobs really are, um, are, are probably the most significant ways that I believe we've, we've got, we've got to change our aperture, our internal aperture, right? I, I think I get a little concerned to the degree that not just the communications function within Lenovo, but even you know, communications or integrated comms and marketing functions, you know, in our ecosystem today are still weighted a little more heavily toward the traditional. And, and I get really concerned. I don't think that at the end of the day, given all that we've seen, you know, this integration that continues to happen within marketing and comms and IT um, as well, that um, the traditionalists are going to find themselves increasingly boxed out um, of the conversations, whether those conversations happen at you know, a table where the seats are you know, designated or whether it's a conversation, a theoretical conversation that's happening within you know, brands. Uh, I don't think that's, that is a long-term uh, recipe for value, impact, influence. And so 
to answer your question, this is where I believe wholeheartedly that being data informed and leveraging that data to understand, you know, the stakeholders that we own and and using both to ask a wholly different set of questions. And in as much as those questions reflect a different view of the accountability that our function has, that speaks to business value, right? Um, and I think in some ways that's where uh, the data and the analytics and the insight and leveraging those to transform the way we think, the way we operate, the way we uh, plan, uh, and what we see as our mandate within our organizations at the end of the day uh, is probably the most significant thing to change the dynamic between us and our CEOs or see whomever um, and to, you know, to the degree that we can guarantee you know, to have us uh, feel like we have been given and are constantly invited to have that conversation, whether that involves a seat or not. And so I think the last point, you know, to the degree to which we are still talking about counts and clicks and keywords and, you know, coverage, I, mean, I, think, I think those are a reflection of some serious risk to our value and credibility as a function um, to the degree to which we're st still talking about those things and measuring those things and, and positioning those as uh, indications of value that we're bringing to an organization. Um, and, and I think that's uh, something that still concerns me, both for us internally, because um, I still do hear it you know, in some pockets of our organization, and then certainly I think across kind of global brands, I still am surprised to the degree to which I still hear it and see those kinds of things. I think that's very interesting that the the idea that measures measuring counts and clicks are actually a, a risk or a threat to what we do as a function in, in the insofar as they can um, sort of dramatically undervalue you know what we do and in other ways even reinforce the wrong behaviors. Um, yeah. You recently um, on Twitter you know commented that there's no such thing as digital strategy anymore. There's just strategy in the digital world. And now you've made reference to traditionalists, um, you know, who maybe are, are entrenched and have not evolved with that. Um, as you think about building out the communications function and capabilities at Lenovo, how do you find that balance between digital expertise and more traditional skill sets um, in order to still kind of drive that ROI the business is seeking um, yeah. today? Yeah. So I think I think digital is it's a foundational competency today, right? And so whereas again to your point, it perhaps in previous years was thought of as a strategy, just like I, maybe hist maybe previously social was thought of as a strategy or you know an approach uh, as opposed to a challenge. And so I think in my mind it's a core competency uh, that is perhaps foundational. And, and I and I also not to minimize the value of media relations. I think at our core that is still you know a foundational competency relationships, and, and I hope it will uh, continue to be, um, uh, because in some ways that is a value that we bring to our organizations. That is that's key, right? And so I'm not again uh, minimizing that, but uh, I do think you know digital. Uh, because of the reality of what's happened in the world today, not because of some interesting person's idea that this ought to be a priority. And I think, you know, if we're if we're still discussing whether, you know, digital and what's happened with influence and engagement and media and content and all those things has not gotten us to the place where uh, understanding core digital um, 
approaches to driving, you know, brand and a narrative and a story, uh, then, then I think there are other challenges. And so, so anyway, so I think that's probably in my mind, the way I think about digital, similar to, to media. But I do think uh, to your question, as organizations that are accountable for, you know, owning this North Star reputation brand positioning, fundamentally, I'd say if I think about the next three to five years and where I believe our disciplines, again, are going, whether you call it marketing or comms or integrated you know, marketing or integrated comms, I think at the end of the day, uh, we will continue to become more and more brand storytellers uh, in reality. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I think our ultimate accountability is to figure out um, how to understand who those people, those stakeholders are who have the most influence, impact on organizations, understand what moves them, how to engage them, and then create the channels and platforms that are going to drive that engagement. And I think that is innately a digital conversation. Um, and, and that's where I think we've got to have a core competency, similar to the way I think media relations for so many years was a core, seen as the core. Digital is that mm-hmm. foundational approach. So you mentioned in their relationships with the media, with stakeholder groups, um, and there's a clear um, you know, role still for earned media mm-hmm. and earned engagement. Then you also mentioned driving the narrative and being brand storytellers. When you were at Verizon, you were responsible for restructuring the communications department into more of an integrated newsroom, which had that emphasis on brand storytelling, owned media, not just earned media. Um, Given today's changing media landscape, which is constantly evolving, what are your your current thoughts on that? What does the fully integrated uh, newsroom look like? Yeah, so I think well, there's some phenomenal work that uh, you know Verizon began to do uh, while I was there, and I think in some ways still continues to do today. And so I, I do think uh, you know that role of brands being engaged in creating platforms, uh, owned platforms to tell their story, still is a valuable um, approach, a valuable strategy. Um, both given the disruption that we've seen happen in the you know, kind of broader media environment. Um, and then I think secondarily, um, if we think about the way consumers engage with content today, so there's clearly that role that still exists. I think what is an interesting uh, nuance or dimension for us as brands today is to think about you know the way that shared platforms, I think as uh, new platforms have emerged, you know there's you know podcasts, for example, you know interestingly enough, you know in terms of what we're doing today, um, and some, influencers, key opinion leaders that in some ways have a larger influence, larger voice, uh, more akin to the way we thought about traditional media, you know, years ago. And so there's a role that uh, these shared platforms play in helping brands tell their story and integrating, you know, some of these platforms. And so I think I think about what we started at Verizon through the lens of perhaps a little more open source storytelling uh, view today that I have about how you construct, you know, the platforms that allow you to, you know, kind of drive a story or engage, you know, across the board. And then, you know, to your point, media is still a big part of that. But I think in some ways, there's a there's a less structured view 
of what began as brand, you know, news centers, brand storytelling that was owned on a platform that brands control versus today, where again, maybe that open source, you know, concept is a, is a better way to think about um, that storytelling community that I think we've got to create around our brands um, that reflects, you know, the four core, you know, channels. So I think I've evolved some there. I love that idea of open source storytelling. Yeah. That's that's a really powerful idea. Um, so another powerful idea, something you've been an important voice for in the PR industry, and you've mentioned it a couple of times today in the context of Lenovo's business and globality, um, but you've been an important voice in our industry for uh, greater diversity uh, in PR. Can you, I mean, how, how have you seen... Um, diversity lead to greater impact um and within the industry what has the response been um when people have heard your stance and i've heard you advocating for greater inclusiveness yeah so and so there's a there's a lot we know there's a lot that data has told us now so we know about again and these are unquestionable uh, truths that you know diverse teams are more productive right more creative produce greater outcomes. So that's, again, that's, that's data confirmed. And so those things we can take off the table, although they're critical truths in terms of trying to drive increased business performance. And so my, my first thing always about this topic, it's just a business imperative, right? Um, and I have always come at it as a business imperative, not a nice to do. Um, and so I'd say with that kind of data confirmed reality, um, and as a you know, business leader, um, if you told me there were some strategic imperatives that I can or- organize around that would guarantee increased productivity, creativity, and output, um, right, I'd be foolish to not look at those things. And so th- that's how I think about it kind of foundationally. I'd say in terms of the industry, this is where I think you know, it, it is what it is. I, I am constantly challenged by this conversation that still takes place. Um, more and again, not to minimize, uh, it takes place uh, much more than I believe it should, given the reality of what we know about this. And I believe at the end of the day, my point of view on this is that it boils down to where we sit today, an issue of leadership and commitment. And so what I've personally determined about this and decided from my own leadership is that I will lead in this area. And by leading, I will do what needs to be done uh, to show that one, this is a misnomer that there's not you know diverse talent that exists in our in our function in our discipline, and my organization will reflect that. And of all the things that I think within our organizations we can do as a leader, I have the ability to decide today. I can walk out of this room and tell you I will make a decision, and it'll happen. And I think fundamentally that's what it boils down to. Uh, for organizations who are wrestling with this topic. I think there's some great initiatives and programs. And again, there are challenges that as organizations we have to deal with to ensure that retention and some of the challenges that are, that are real get addressed. And again, I don't want to minimize those. But solving this problem ultimately will come down to those two things, I believe, having been a part of this conversation for way too long. Um, and you know, the other nuance that I think is critical, and this is where... You know, I've been a part of some great brands and Verizon was certainly one of those um, that helped influence this, uh, where my 
Compensation was impacted by the degree to which uh, I was successful about recruiting and retaining, and I was impacted by the organization's role there. And at some point as leaders, if we're serious, then you got to put some skin in the game. And that's where I think across our you know, brands and agencies, um, that's how you organize your, or your teams around some results. Uh, have everyone put skin in the game. I love that idea of putting skin in the game and hearing you talk about it, it feels so clear. As a leader, you simply decide and then ensure that you're committed to it and following through. And if every leader in our industry made the same decision, then we'd no longer be having this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned agencies as well. And uh, I know that you know, you've also been quoted as holding your agencies accountable on the diversity uh, metric. Um, we've also heard a lot lately about changing relationships with agencies, the death of the agency of record relationship. Um, how do you view the agency ecosystem today? And what do you think agencies need to do differently to be better partners in the future? Yeah, I, I guess I'm not as negative on the, uh, the agencies in general. I, you know, I spent you know, several years within the agency business, and so there's two sides to this coin. I, I do find, and from the brand perspective, I will say, and from the perspective of a brand that is transforming, right? I think in either, I think most organizations today, brands or agencies, you're either transforming or being disruptive, one or the other. Um, but anyway, so I think to your question, uh, I think as a brand, we are challenged to transform ourselves. Just given what's happening, again, we mentioned this earlier, highly commoditized industry, you know, unbelievable pressure, you know, as a global organization to drive market growth to change. Um, you know, some significant reputational challenges we have in certain parts of the world um, to deal with unbelievably dynamic, you know, customer uh, bases you know, around the world. And so fundamentally, we are looking at how we're organized and how we structure ourselves and how we drive engagement, um, how we create, again, the channels and platforms to connect with our stakeholders once they understand how they are. Um, I, I think the pressure point for agencies is to parallel the transformation that brands feel. Um, and to the degree to which, again, this is a generalization uh, because there are, there are outliers in this instance, obviously. But I, I think in, to parallel, agencies have to respond to the challenge of similarly uh, redesigning the way they operate, behave, the way they think about their competency, um, to, to parallel what's happening with brands. And so I think about it in that way. So it's not necessarily that agencies need to uh, change as much as agencies need to map to what the reality is that I'm fighting, that I'm challenged with uh, as a brand leader, as a marketing leader within our organization. I find that the tension point, right? And so we still see some of our agencies that are wrestling with, you know, uh, being wedded to uh, a structure or a way that is light years be behind where we are as a brand. And I think that's the inflection point in my mind that's creating a lot of this tension uh, across the industry and that I don't think has been quite uh, addressed to the degree that um, it needs to be and will have to be. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. So you talk about transforming yourselves and sort of being constantly in that transformation uh, mindset and obviously the need of your partners to map to you on that. Um, but you also have significant aggressive business goals, right? Um, 
How do you find the the balance between sort of continuing with what works, the tried and true, um, versus disrupting yourself to yeah. stay cutting edge? Yeah. Yeah, so I, it's interesting. We, I was in a conversation with some of uh, my team in the last couple of days, and and this was also a challenge I gave one of our agencies a couple of months ago. And so I have always been of the mentality, um, when you're trying to transform an approach, a team, a function, and in this instance, you know, the way we look at kind of integrated marketing, integrating comms, um, you know, that, that bent toward disrupting yourselves, um, you know, trying things, you know, being the agitators is really key um at the same time you know, you've got to you've got to maintain you know the ongoing i often describe it as you got to keep the wheels on the bus going round and round but at the same time given the speed of change that we are experiencing internally externally um the disruption has got to be core and so whether you know you take the approach that i took at verizon where you you hire a core team of disruptors you know and give them that mandate. Your mandate is to to disrupt, um, and you know that little skunk works team is, is key because they're the people that are poking and prodding, and they're the why are we doing it this way? Or here's the interesting way. I think having that is key. And I've challenged one of our agencies. We need that as well. So sure, we need that core team that's going to help us keep the wheels going round and round. But more important given the challenge of us understanding what's happening around the corner um, and how we evolve ourselves and our approach to driving brand, uh, we've also got to have that skunk works team, that core set of disruptors who are going to agitate us. Um, And I'm the most comfortable when I have that team around me. Um, I get a little concerned when the traditionalists rule the house. Um, both from our agency partner networks and also within our internal organizations. And so for me, that's critical. Um, And it's always been, if not priority one, priority two, to ensure that that team is there and is a part of my organization and sees their mandate as uh, the disruptors and that they have the the cover, right? Because you can't just hire disruptors and kind of leave them to fend for themselves. You've actually got to give them the, uh, the imprimatur, so that the organization doesn't, you know, come in and you know take them all out at their knees. Yep, it's it's that's interesting to hear you talk about deliberately agitating yourself. Yeah. Um, but the importance of doing that as a leader. Um, so earlier you mentioned broadening the aperture as an important mindset. Um, here we heard about the importance of disrupting yourself, um, having an agitator mindset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there any other sort of mindset shifts that you're, you know, that you are either trying to drive throughout your organization or that you would advocate for within our industry? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I think that, you know, this concept of, um, you know, we're looking at agile, uh, staffing team construct models. It's a, maybe not a new, um, conversation that's happening within integrated marketing organizations but you know we're really looking at at agile uh lean teams you know as a as a philosophy for how we manage you know kind of resources globally uh but perhaps you know more uh significant to your question this concept i mentioned a little bit in the disruptors agitators conversation around uh really having our teams take on this trial and error um, you know, how can we think about things differently? Um, how can priority one be, you know, what's the best way? And this again, goes back to where, you know, 
us understanding the power of data and you know the insights that come from that uh, to really focus on the creative idea um, that should organize our our thinking or at least be the foundation for a lot of our thinking is a is a big behavioral shift um, that I find uh, certainly important for us you know, at Lenovo but also across our, our discipline our function you know the integrated marketing discipline and so I think we should be you know trialing and error and more we should be you know creating interesting little you know skunk works projects little in essence but you know that kind of you know, discovery I don't think happens enough right and I'm certainly speaking about my team and you know whether that's a lack of um you know, ver- verbalizing, you know, the interest in that, you know, the desire to see that. <clears throat> I certainly find that unbelievably appealing, you know, from our agency partners, right, to the degree to which we have partners who are, you know, those bringing that perspective to us uh, and helping us think that way, behave that way. Uh, that, that I think, is, a, is an unbelievably important um, requirement for us today that I, I feel like we've not done as good of a job kind of integrating into our internal discipline and also within our broader network of uh, support partners that in terms of long-term success, credibility of our function, our discipline and impact, right? The other challenge of being a global you know, organization is to think about how you drive impact at scale, right? So we have a lot of incremental things that we could do, but at the end of the day, if we can't have impact at scale, you know, is it really worth the investment of dollars, resources, energy? Um, and so that's uh, the other challenge, I think, for me is to constantly think about can we scale that idea, right, to really drive brand influence, brand impact? And does our team think that way? And then do our support partners think that same way as well? So, of course, that was that was the original challenge with the Skunk Works, the original Skunk Works, yeah. right, was yeah. – um, were all of their crazy ideas yeah. actually yes. operational, right? <clears throat> yes. Um, so what about, as you think about things that either the skunk work side of your team is mm-hmm. grappling with, or even just the core team, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the context of communications, what are things that are, I guess, confounding you or your team the most today in terms of uh, channels, formats, um, trends, you know, anything that uh, your team is, you know, grappling with, but hasn't quite got the answer to yet, hasn't cracked the code yet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question. <clears throat> I mean, I think there are a couple of, you know, big rocks in my mind um, that I think I often like to think about, you know, this core set of questions that I, I don't know the answer to. Um, <clears throat> and so things like um, what, what really influences the way we're perceived, Right. You know, at a, at a global macro level and then um, at a you know, kind of micro market level. I mean, obviously, we have a ton of you know, you know, data that we're looking at today, you know, reputation indices and you know, brand level data. Um, but what really influences the way a consumer thinks about us and what prompts them to behave and act or engage? Uh, we don't know. Uh, I don't know. Um, what really is the benefit of an unbelievably positive article about us, you know, today, wherever? We know, I know, you know, how it feels uh, and perhaps some benefit that I could, you know, glean by sharing. But if we're being truthful, I, I don't know. 
right? And if I if I map the dollars that I'm you know, investing in, you know, these things, um, you know, in the in the quiet of my office, you know, I, I don't know. Um, versus, you know, reallocating and thinking about, you know, getting to that silver bullet and something that's really going to drive uh, impact at scale. Um, and is it possible for a brand to really matter in, in the way that, you know, we talk aspirationally about our desire to um, to be voted by consumers to have a reason to exist, right? So if you could choose tomorrow to identify the 10 organizations that you, Mr. or Mrs. Consumer, want to see, you know, maintain their existence in our world, what would go into that thought process, right? Um, and those are, those are fascinating kind of ex existential uh, questions that go beyond the tactical day-to-day, -day, you know, media conversations, you know, social sentiment sharing and, uh, you know, perception monitoring that speak to the real heart of what I think as, as business leaders, right, the way our CEO thinks about investing dollars and markets and products and um, that we've got to get to as marketing leaders uh, to, to some of these truths that I honestly don't know the answer to, but I think the answers have to be um, significant in determining how we structure and how we align and how we change um, the real estate around which we organize our teams and functions and people and dollars. Um, so anyway, so that felt very highbrowed, but you know, I think at the end of the day, I'd, I'd love to know the answers to some of those things because I think uh, they speak to macro truths that should influence the next three to five to seven years of whatever this discipline is that we are a part of or whatever it'll be, you know, framed as over that time frame. And those are the kinds of questions, I think, as leaders sitting in the C-suite, C-suite, we've got to be able to ask. Um, well, and it's, it's such a powerful question that you could frame things through. It may be highbrow or existential or, or whatever, but this idea of would consumers vote for your brand to exist, yeah. right? I mean, that's, I think... A lot of leaders are probably uh, would would wring their hands over the answer to that question. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what about you when it comes to brands that you would vote uh, to exist? What are brands that you respect when it comes to the current uh, marketplace that you think are are thriving from a communications standpoint, perhaps? Yeah, I'm pretty actually pretty critical when it comes to that kind of you know thought. And obviously, obviously, there are brands that. I think matter to me on a much more transactional, you know, level, perhaps not quite to the, the level of, I, I would vote for this one. And I, and that's where, you know, it's a, that's one of the reasons it, it is a, you know, a big rock or a big question for me. I think there's some brands who have attached themselves to highly relevant issues, um, you know, sustainability, you know, obviously, you know, we think about uh, some of the great work that Unilever has done there. Um, I think we think about, you know, kind of obviously, you know, if you think about what Dove has done to some a cause that I think regardless of, you know, gender, you could, you know, align around and see the impact of that. And so I think there's, some, again, there's some great ones who have attached themselves to a very relevant uh, concept. Um, whether that would bring them to the level of, well, you know what, I, 
is again that's a different you know question so so i don't know i mean i think this is what i wrestle with you know to this conversation we just had um and so there's certainly some great brands that you know as a marketing leader i think are aspirational in terms of what they've been able to do to drive engagement um and to create you know a global stakeholder you know apparatus um that has unbelievably compelling, you know, kind of data informed, you know, you know, digital components. Um, but, you know, not not anyone that has, I think, reached, you know, this earth shattering nirvana that is my aspiration. Right. And so whether we get there or not, I don't know. But I, I don't see that today. Well, you have you have high standards. So that's not that's not entirely surprising. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so we've covered a lot of ground. As, are there any other topics um, or just thoughts that you would uh, leave our listeners with? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think not really. I think we've talked around a lot of them. I do think this last conversation that we were having around, um, you know, what really matters, right? And and prioritizing for our teams, for our organizations, uh, work that is having a meaningful impact on kind of culture and society and the world and uh, that is helping us all drive you know relevancy um, <clears throat> is key and, and I think to the degree to which we are talking about that or that's the you know the aspiration that we have and we're being thoughtful about how to organize ourselves around that I think is you know that's that's great work and that's the kind of work that I, I hope we all aspire to do uh, within our organization regardless of where we sit um, and so I, I think I'm heartened by a lot of the things that I see happening, not just within our organization, but again, within kind of the broad kind of brand universe. And certainly as I travel the world and, you know, meet, you know, different people and, you know, have different conversations and, you know, again, broaden my aperture. Um, I'm heartened by the reality of, you know, the world still is flat. Um, and I think, you know, being a part of a truly global brand that is trying to matter uh, in the world and society at large is certainly um, something that I feel excited about every day. And so my hope is that my peers and colleagues, you find themselves in that same situation and that we do great work right at the end of the day. Um, I think that's what we all aspire to do. And so I think we could all vote that uh, as an ultimate aspiration. That's probably a pretty good one to have. I think everybody will agree with that. So, um, Tarad, thank you very much for your time and your you. insights. I think people are going to be uh, very excited um, to hear everything that you shared here today. I appreciate the time. It's good talking to you. Pretty cool, huh? So a lot was covered in that conversation. We figured it'd be best to take a minute to recap some of the most compelling sticking points from our conversation with Tarad. So one thing that we kept returning to was this notion of broadening one's aperture. Tarad made the shift from Verizon, a national brand, to Lenovo, a global brand. Communications responsibilities for a global brand is a whole different ballgame than a national brand. In fact, it may even be a different sport. Global communications demands a significant widening of one's international perspective. And the necessity of strong global perspectives is becoming increasingly critical for brand leaders, even for national brands. The world is truly becoming flatter. And the competitive landscape among emerging markets is leveling at an unprecedented rate. Globalization is really upon us. 
Therefore, it behooves any brand leader to widen his global perspective to prepare for it. Besides, increased levels of global awareness are not only good for your brand, but make you a more conscious and downright better person, and in many cases, a better leader. Jump at that opportunity to travel abroad for business or for pleasure. And no, your resort in the Caribbean does not count. Number two, diversity is a business imperative. Diversity is a critically important topic in today's zeitgeist, but you rarely hear anybody discussing the financial benefits of it. Tarad cites the fact that diverse teams are more productive, more creative, and produce greater outcomes. This makes perfect sense, particularly in the context of a global brand like Lenovo, where the melding of multiple perspectives is a critical element of crafting the kinds of positioning messages that resonate with such a widely diverse customer base. Diversity is profitable. Prioritize it. Number three, send in the disruptors. Tarad emphasizes how much more comfortable he feels when he has disruptors to challenge his and his team's strategies. Disruption continues to be a buzzword, but being comfortable with disruption is a must-have mindset for brand leaders. No matter how good your data is, how strong your media relations team is, or how talented your creatives are, not having people in there to kick the tires on your strategy at all times is a tremendous liability. Number four, keep the wheels on the bus turning. So the disruptors are critical for keeping you on your toes, but at the same time, you clearly don't want to hand them the reins entirely because that would just be chaos. This speaks to the important balancing act that communications leaders need to achieve. Placing too many bets on the future can be dangerous, but if you don't take risks regularly, your brand could be on a fast track to becoming antiquated. Hedge your bets. Keep the trains running, but build that Skunk Works band of pirates within your organization so they can challenge, inspire, and spark breakthroughs. It'll lead to arguments, and it's not always a smooth process, but as we all know, marketing and communications ain't for sissies. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.